All right, let's get back into it. Hour three. It is a great day for talk radio, and uh, it's one of the finer moments that we have on this Wednesday edition when we've got our friends joining us in a roundtable discussion. Ernie Eves, a former premier and finance minister here in the province of Ontario. Good afternoon, Ernie. How are you, John? It's I'm a great good. day. Thank you. For talk radio right there. <laughs> Complete the sentence, Ernie, the way I wrote it. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> Buzz Hargrove, former national president of the Canadian Auto Workers, now distinguished visiting prof at Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. Hello, Buzz. Hi, John. And John Turley, you are risk management consultant specializing in capital markets, extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets, one-time associate editor of the Financial Post and senior editor at the National Post. How's John doing? Very well, thank you, John. Good, thanks. We were just talking before we got started. This was something that began with a debate or discussion last hour that uh, when it comes to Hydro One, because earlier today, within about uh, the last 90 minutes or so, Doug Ford had signaled that... uh, the CEO, Mayo Schmidt, of Hydro One and the entire board uh, have kind of tendered their resi- uh, retirement. Uh, and this is where it gets interesting because they say they've entered into an agreement Hydro One has for the purpose of the orderly replacement of the board of directors of Hydro One and the retirement of Mayo Schmidt as CEO effective today. I always thought that, you know, because the province actually maintained control of the voting shares despite being a minority shareholder. Uh, that was always the position I staked out. Lou reiterated that, but that got challenged. So what is the reality? Again, not questioning Lou, but uh, Ernie, what do you hear? What do you know? Well, I don't really know the actual reality. I understood that when they decided to privatize everyone, there was something put in the legislation that gave them the right to hire and fire uh, board members, CEO, yada, yada. Uh, but that's as I mean, I don't know the particulars of exactly what's in the legislation or exactly how it's worded, but they certainly have the right to do what they did today. All right. But, Buzz, you understood it the same way I did, that they still maintain voting control. That was my understanding, that they had a clause in there uh, that made it very clear that the government had the final say on all major decisions. All right. John, do you want to make it a consensus? Well, they have 47% of the shares, which, regardless of what's written into the the actual legislation, gives them the ability to, to run the company. Okay, so and they have run it. Uh, they've run it to the extent that they've actually got this guy retiring run it into the ground. But well, they did this in a very, <laughs> very interesting way, though, because you know, as I don't know what was said behind the scenes or whatnot, but you have a board that's walked away and a CEO that's retired, and they don't have to eat that compensation package that, for some crazy reason, the board approved uh, right in the midst of a provincial election. Well, yeah, but here's the thing, because Mayo Schmidt, see, as I read while we were in real time here, the press release came across, that he's accepted a $400,000 lump sum payment in lieu of all post-retirement benefits and allowances, meaning uh, the understanding was he was going to get the golden parachute of $10.6 million. Uh, this was a poison pill built into it. As you say, Johnny, correctly, the directors had set it up that way, and so it would be probably ill-advised to fire the guy. But now he's retiring, and he's retiring with only four hundred grand. Does that suggest behind the scenes maybe there's some other package that's been constructed that involves <laughs> options or some kind of deferred payment, Ernie? You're very suspicious, Joe. Well, yeah, yeah. I, am. <laughs> I well, obviously there's been some negotiations going on, or some second thought processes going on behind the scenes. I would think because of the way it was done. And uh, when it was done, as John points out, I would think there might be a good legal case for, you know, you're just doing this because you think the government may change. And, well, there's a government that appointed you and likes you still in place. Let's 
load up uh, maybe before we get kicked out if that happens. But even even uh, if they had, had ignored that, and you were right on that, he still was entitled to five point four million as a regular severance if he was fired by the new government without cause. They doubled that in their discussion, so that's disappeared too. So right. Well, so what, what gives? What's could going be on? A bit suspicious. Yeah. What do you think, John? Options? You may have another job. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I don't know about options. I, I'm sure there was a lot of conversations behind the scenes, and and uh, you know, again, when you can control the company, you can you can overturn uh, decisions that a board has made. Uh, you know, by having special meetings and calling votes and doing it that way. So, I mean, it's very possible that, uh, you know, they said to them, do you want to really drag this out really? uh, and do it this way? All right. So uh, he's going to forego $10 million plus. Wouldn't he call Lior Samfuru, the employment lawyer, and try to settle this? Uh, <laughs> That's a good I'm, ad. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem to pass a sniff test, but uh, we'll leave that for now because there are some other things. It I might wanna... be the question whether the board members would be liable, too, if a court was to decide that this wasn't done in the in best good faith. interest of, right. of, and of so the yeah, that's, right. That's the other thing, too. The That's right, that liability there. I hadn't thought about that yet. Well, all right. And, uh, I don't so, think the outgoing board would want to be liable for 10.6 million or whatever. <laughs> right. So, so in other words, uh, and that makes sense too, that the board might have constructed this in collusion with the guy and uh, it looks like they're just feather betting or looking after their own interests and maybe, okay, well, there's something. There's a story waiting to be written or told behind the scenes. Some other stuff that Doug Ford has implemented in the early days. Uh, we know that he's canceled cap and trade, but he's also promised to settle the York University strike. I was asking a panel last hour if this is a signal that that he's going after the unions. Buzz, do you think it is? No, no, not at all. Uh, this dispute has went on way too long, and there are times uh, that uh, government has a, a role and an obligation to step in and use uh, compulsory arbitration through legislation to settle a dispute. All right. I think this is one of them. All right. So, I mean, uh, you feel that, you know, the Ford relationship with the unions in the province is not going to be like the heady days of the Harris Eves years, or do you, do you foresee? Hair, I prefer to call him the Harris years when Ernie's around. <laughs> uh, right. No, I don't. I don't see that. Now, I could be proven uh, wrong, but I don't think this is any kind of a signal. All right. Well, you know, again, uh, folks on the left tend to believe that it does signal something, and it's going to be a fatwa on the on the unions and all kinds of nurses and. Uh, so yeah, but that's that's nonsense, Johnny. The liberals wanted to do it as well before before um, the election. So. It was inevitable, is what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Well, they tried to do it, but they left it till there were only two days left or something. Right. Yeah, they, they didn't they, have they, time for the debate. They, they didn't manage it well. Yeah. yeah, so. All right, uh, then let me move on to other matters uh, as we've got them here construed. Uh, you know, I'm looking at what Donald Trump is uh, doing, and some of the folks are saying, you know, this is going to be bad. It's going to hurt Canada. And I just wonder if it will, because he's reduced taxes, their economy's booming, it's going at between 4 and 5% annual growth. And so uh, if that's the case, in some ways, all boats rise with the tide. Our exports are really going to take off because we sell to America, first and foremost, despite tariffs and all the rest of the thing. John, on balance, I mean, we should be heralding uh, what Trump is doing to really stoke the American economy, no? I, I think that there's no doubt that the reduction in corporate taxes will have a big impact. I mean, the, the, one of the questions is in Canada is how competitive will we remain? Now, at the same time as, you know, we have the benefit of trade with the U.S., there's a whole question of whether NAFTA will continue uh, as we currently understand it under Trump. 
And this could create complications for Canadian firms who are hoping to ride the American wave. Uh, what I mean by that is if it's harder to send your goods into the U.S., uh, if there's tariffs that are going to be put on them, then the question starts to emerge is where do you manufacture your product or where do you create your product? Uh, do you do it in Canada or do you do it in the U.S.? And sometimes it's not manufacturing. It's Let's say you're a software company. Uh, you know, if you want to look at substantially lower ca- you know, corporate taxes in the U.S. versus Canada... But there's a, another challenge on top of that as well, finding people. Uh, the U.S. is pretty much at full employment right now. Uh, good luck finding a, you know, new staff if you move down there. So the, the, you know, the, uh, the landscape is very complicated given Trump's, I'd call, erratic uh, behavior on a whole number of issues. All right, but the word came out today, and Stephen Pelos, the uh, governor of the Bank of Canada, hiked interest rates a quarter of a point again. It's one, 1.5, and uh, he says this is sort of... Uh, an indication that the economy is heating up. I use that term advisedly because what is it? They're looking at 1.9%, I think, annual growth. But happier days are ahead, despite all the naysayers and the doom and gloom. Ernie, how do you see it? Well, we were talking about this a little bit before we came on uh, out there, and I, I'm i kind of surprised that he moved and then turned in the next breath said, but, you know, if NAFTA falls <laughs> Harder, we have a problem. I'm have to go back and revisit this and and lower them again. I don't know. I maybe it's just my small c conservative nature. I think I'd wait till find out the lay of the land was before I lowered them. But that's just me. All, right. All things equal, I, uh, I I if it was just NAFTA, I think Canadian business would do very well even without uh, NAFTA. But it's the tariffs, the threat of tariffs, and the uncertainty about what he's going to do next, and. The tax cuts, I mean, they're giving that credit for the growth in the economy, but they haven't even kicked in yet. You know, nobody's been able to take advantage of them at this point. So it really is from the Obama era, unemployment has been dropping and dropping and dropping. So Obama should be getting the credit, not not Trump. Well, who gets the credit in Canada because unemployment's gone down too? The government. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Doug Ford. Uh, yes. Doug Ford's just Stephen in Arbor. power. Well, give, uh, give him another month. Maybe we can give him some credit, but... All right. He's, he's hardly got his feet wet yet. By the way, uh, when Donald Trump talks about uh, needing to meet NATO obligations, 2% of GDP, it's kind of a, a way of saying uh, this is going to look at uh, American product being procured, right? It's a procurement play. Yeah, you? absolutely. So, but it does benefit Canadian companies, too, to a large extent. Doesn't that mean, don't we uh, manufacture some uh, military hardware? And he doubled that today to four. He's saying two's not good enough. They have to go to four. Oh, now. really? <laughs> yeah. It's turned into an auction. <laughs> it did. It's a, it's a bit of a bidding game. game but but yeah. we, have, we have a lot of companies that are involved in uh, military production. So uh, it's good for us. In Ontario, uh, I'm not sure military production is good for anybody. Oh. You ask the people that they're dropping the bombs on, they would probably disagree. Wow, Buzz, I didn't realize this pacifist streak just uh, <laughs> no. came to the surface of the fort. No, I, I just think there's a better way of uh, of uh, growing your economy than through military All right. expenditures. But it's if it's a case of, you know, uh, him telling people you got to pony up because we're tired of protecting you, blah, 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 it's a procurement play. Are Canadians going to be beneficiaries of uh, some of this military hardware well, manufacturing? Canada's not going to move their spending up to 2%. It's not going to happen. Uh, Trudeau's already been clear on that. And I, the other thing I would say is that this is not a simply a Trump uh, approach. Uh, you've heard the Americans say this for a long, long time. 
because they feel like they've been carrying their allies uh, for decades now. Uh, they're the primary spenders, the, the you know the the planet's police, as they sometimes call themselves. Uh, and certainly out of Europe, there was a long time in Europe where the Europeans didn't spend very much of anything compared to the U.S. And and you know, Canadian spending really uh, ramped up uh, once we got into Afghanistan because we realized our equipment it didn't work. Uh, you know, wasn't suitable, and we had to buy uh, and build uh, new equipment and uh, you know fix our planes and our helicopters and all that sort of thing. But uh, it, we're not going to get into this business. This is we have a liberal government in Ottawa. Heavy military spending is not what they do. What they did is what what they're going to do is what they did today. We're going to lead a NATO mission in Afghanistan. That's what they said they were going to do today. I mean, UN mission in Mali, Mali, Iraq, uh, troops right. in Afghanistan. Okay, so that's our Iraq. contribution rather than spending more money. That's our contribution. The liberals are not uh, pro-military uh, spending. Okay. But the European community is arguing today that the U.S. does not spend 4% of GDP. It's, it's, it's about 3.6, 3.7. Well, it's more than the others, though. Yes. Okay. More than anybody well, else except Greece. Was Greece is right up there, apparently. Well, 2%, I thought. Greece, <laughs> so, yeah. Look, at, Trump makes a point, and previous American presidents have also made it, as John points out, that... You know, for a long time, the U.S. has overwhelmingly cared, carried the majority share of NATO spending. And as Trump pointed out today, rightly or wrongly, it's Europe that gets the benefit primarily of NATO. We're all concerned about, they're all concerned about Russia. Yet he, of course, slammed Germany for entering into a pipeline deal to get natural gas from Russia. So if you're all concerned about Russia, then why are you accepting Seventy-five percent of your natural gas comes from Russia. And well, you just is he wrong? With them. Is he wrong? <clears throat> he well, there's a element of sarcastic truth in what he has <laughs> to say. And by the way, he didn't criticize <laughs> Russia. He criticized Germany for entering into right, right, right. Sorry. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Russia. If they're uh, going to get the contracts, then uh, you know that's where he's going after the Germans, saying, "How can you? You can't have it both ways. You can't suck and blow at the same time." Let's come back uh, and get down to uh, other matters here with Ernie Eves, John Turley, Ewart, and Buzz Hargrove on the Oakley Show, Global News Radio, six forty, Toronto.